Hi, welcome to The Heavy with Andrew and Don, where we cover a large range of rock and metal topics for the casual listener. I'm your host, Don Sutherland, and with me, as always, is my brother, Andrew Sutherland. What's up, dirtbags? Remember, you can uh, email us at theheavypod at gmail.com or DM us on any of our social stuff. If you have anything to say, comments, want to talk about anything, Andrew, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about Thin Lizzy. All right. Not just Phil Lynott. Okay. Well, well, it's essentially about Phil Lynott because he's like the main. Okay, yeah, that <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was thinking. Like, I can't even picture yeah. what they look like. It's just, just him. Let's do it. All right, like you said, I mean, Phil Lynott's like the focal point of Thin Lizzy, obviously. But uh, I mean, we'll talk a bit about the rest of the band, but mostly about him. I'm just going to assume he wrote most of the stuff. Uh, that would be correct. Until, I mean, we'll talk about it a bit after, but until like the, the last couple albums, he did the majority of the songwriting. Okay. Uh, so, so uh, I mean, for, for those that don't know, Thin Lizzy was an Irish rock band and later on a hard rock band that was active from about the uh, early 70s to the mid-1980s. And uh, in my mind, one of the most underrated acts in hard rock history. So, uh, yeah. I mean, at least by, by the mainstream. I mean, obviously, like there's there's fans that love Thin Lizzy, right? Like people that are really into him. But like as far as mm-hmm. people who just listen to uh, mainstream rock radio, uh, I feel that they don't get exposed to almost any of Thin Lizzy's material that they really should be. Like they, they, they not they, even all of their would, hits get played. Well, not even all. Their, I mean, all you hear is is Jailbreak and Boys Are Back in Town and Whiskey in the Jar, right? And like those aren't even close to the three of their best songs, in my in my opinion. So, yeah, and I don't even think like in terms of in terms of hits too. Like there's there's hits that are just as big as those that don't get played. Dancing well, in the have, Moonlight is my favorite one. That's that's a great song too. And yeah. they have ton, they have tons of stuff that aren't even considered hits that I think are just amazing songs. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so like I was saying, they had a few big hits, and I mean, yeah. obviously Whiskey in the Jar was covered by Metallica, which is probably a more famous cover than the Thin Lizzy version, which is actually a cover of a traditional Irish folk song. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even written by them. But these are far from my favorite Thin Lizzy songs, and they just have so much great music that I'd like to talk about. So uh, just to go back to the very beginning of the band, the band was originally founded in 1969 by bassist, vocalist Phil Lynott, who we mentioned before there, uh, Mm -hmm. drummer Brian Downey, and a guitarist named Eric Bell. And also briefly, they had an organist named Eric Rickson, although he would leave the band before they even released their first single. And did they have an organist after that? Uh, they did like, especially I know for sure in like the late seventies and the eighties they had an organist. If you listen to a lot of that stuff, there's there's like keyboards in there or synth or whatever. Uh, yeah. So they did, and and I think that I don't know if I wrote it down, but one of the guys that they had uh, in the eighties, he actually helped write a couple of the songs, like some of the the really good songs actually. And I believe he got upset because they didn't he didn't get credit on the album, even though he'd written some of the songs, and like he wasn't even in the picture of the band. Right. But, uh, yeah, but uh, I mean, entirely. I'm kind of like, you know, shitting on them for not including him, but then I forgot his name. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you can see yeah. how it would happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so Phil Lynott was without a doubt the most recognizable member of the band. Uh, and he was the driving force, not only in his stage presence and his ability as a performer, but also mm-hmm. uh, songwriting as well. He was like the, he wrote the majority of their songs until, like I said, some of the other band members had a little more input on their last couple of albums. It's like all him. Uh, so, so uh, Lynott was born in 1949 in England to an Irish single mother, and uh, he was raised in Dublin, Ireland, from the age of three. 
His father was a guy named Cecil Paris. He was a, a black man from British Guiana, uh, but he was not significantly involved in his life, even though there was an account of Phil meeting him later on when he was an adult, and it I don't think it went too well. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. I mean, if, up to that point, probably some animosity, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy was in, involved in his life all through growing up, so I don't think he really had much time for him by that point. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so growing up as one of the very few black people in Ireland at that time, like back in the 50s, apparently it wasn't easy. But from what it sounds like and from the evidence of the kind of person he was, it was definitely character building. Mm. So he definitely turned into a really like, you know, intelligent, interesting dude with a lot of personality. Yeah, I watched like a couple of interviews with him. And yeah, he was a very interesting person. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, drummer Brian Downey had met Lionet in school in the early 60s. And they played in a local pop group together called the Black Eagles. Although at this time, Lionet wasn't playing the bass at this point. He was just singing. Oh, okay. So he didn't start playing the bass. All right. Yeah, not not at that early of an age. It was uh, a bit later. So in, in 1967, Lionet would join a band called Skid Row, who are not to be confused with the American hair metal band Skid Row. <laughs> uh, obviously. I just assumed that much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lionet was replaced by uh, Sebastian Bach in uh, <laughs> 19... 89 or whatever. I don't an know. odd turn of events here <laughs> yeah. yeah no totally different band so this band would also feature a guy named gary moore on guitar who uh will kind of play into the thin lizzie story later on here right so in uh in 1969 skid row bassist uh brush shields he would let line it go from the band but the two actually stayed on good terms and shields was the one who taught line it how to play bass Oh, so, okay. Yeah, he actually like taught him after he fired him from the band. So they, I mean, obviously they stayed friendly. Okay. Uh, where was I here? Oh yeah, so Lionet and Downey would subsequently form the band Orphanage after he'd leave Skid Row. Okay. And uh, after seeing Orphanage perform, Bell and Rickson, who I was talking about, the guitarist and the organist, they yep. would convince they would convince Lionet and Downey to join them forming a new band. So. They named the band after a robot character from a thing called The Dandy, which was a British kids comic magazine back in the day. I guarantee it's so. terrifying. I, I actually couldn't, I never looked for a picture of it. I almost what? was scared to. <laughs> like, it sounds like it's got to be horrifying. What was it come well, from, the magazine? It was called The Dandy. It was, a, it was a comic magazine back, like, I think it was in circulation for quite a while. So, but the character's oh, wait, name was actually, <laughs> the character's name was actually Tin Lizzie. But they changed it to refer to the Dublin accent's pronunciation of thin, which actually sounded like tin. Interesting. You know, they don't really pronounce the H with that accent. Yeah. So Thin Lizzy's first single was called The Farmer. It was released in July 1970 on Parlophone. And it sold less than 300 copies. And also, as I mentioned earlier, that organist Rickson, he would leave the band before this was released. Right. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I, I found Tin Lizzy, so I was looking at, and I don't know how I feel about it. We can put this up on uh, Facebook and Instagram after, but I don't I don't know. It's weird. It's not awful. Oh, yeah. That's a little weird. It, it looks like the maid from DuckTales, isn't it? Yeah, I never watched DuckTales. Well, have, I, think, <laughs> I thought they had, I feel like they had a robot maid in DuckTales. Maybe I'm thinking of a different cartoon. Uh, yeah. The Jetsons? Maybe. Oh, maybe it was the Jetsons. Rosie. Yeah, Rosie, right? Jetsons? Yeah, the, the robot made. made. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the band was dropped by Parlophone after the single, but they were picked up by Decca Records, and they recorded their first album, their self-titled album in 1971. 
right. the uh, the debut album didn't chart in the UK, and uh, despite this and poor sales of the EP New Day that they did in between the first two albums, uh, yeah. also released that year, Decca would still finance their second album called Shades of a Blue Orphanage in 1972, which also did not chart in the UK. <laughs> so personally, when it comes to these first two albums, I'm not really a big fan of them. I find musically... They're kind of a discordant mishmash of like Celtic folk and psychedelic noise. They're sort of, I don't know, I don't like them personally. I'm sure there are people that do, but uh, I try to listen to them and I have I have trouble getting through them. Yeah, some bands take a bit to get there. Yeah, it's, it's I, I I wanted to like them, but I just couldn't. <laughs> no, that's um, fair. Like I, I feel like David Bowie's even one of those people that it took him a couple albums to get going. Like, oh, his old stuff is like pretty weird. Like yeah, yeah, right like before he really found his identity. Yeah, when he was, he's like wearing suits and stuff. Like the the laughing gnome. Do you ever hear the laughing gnome? No, it's just one of his early songs. Oh, it's so stupid. But uh, yeah, it's like just like goofy psychedelic '60s crap. Mm-hmm. Um, so Thin Lizzy's first hit was "Whiskey in the Jar," which we mentioned before, uh, released mm-hmm. by Decca as a single in 1973. Although it was actually initially supposed to be a B-side to a song called "Black Boys on the Corner." because the band didn't have anything else to release with it. So that's like Whiskey in the Jar is basically like a throwaway track that they just put out there for a B-side. That's crazy. And then they, they were actually upset that Decca had released it as a single because they didn't feel it represented their sound or image that they wanted to project. Mm-hmm. So although like you know, Whiskey in the Jar ended up becoming their first hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but, that's... <laughs> they must have been furious. Kind of they... ironic, right? Like I'm sure they really got upset about it and then when they realized it you know, was successful, they probably kind of step back from that stance a little bit right but yeah i guess i get the feeling that they're they're like one of the first people to try and blend maybe like the celtic traditional sounds with rock kind of thing so maybe they didn't even realize that that was the perfect blend yeah well i mean from what you're saying as far as i know that's true i don't (laughs) you know i'm gonna just go with it if we're confident (laughs) enough no one will question it (laughs) Uh, guitarist Eric Bell would walk off stage partway through a gig on New Year's Eve in 1973. And uh, he would come back to finish that set, but he would quit the next day to be replaced by guitarist Gary Moore, who I mentioned earlier, who mm-hmm. played in Skid Row. And uh, Gary Moore would stay, would finish the tour and stay with the band until April 1974. So uh, after Moore left, Lineup decided to... Does it say, use... sorry, does it, does, do you know exactly why they walked off stage in the first place? Like... Uh, Eric Bell, mm-hmm. um, I think he wasn't happy with the direction they were taking. I, I remember reading it had something to do with just the style of music. Like I think he wanted to do more music where he could just like kind of jam and like experiment more, and he just okay. they, they weren't they weren't going in the direction that he wanted. So I think he was just like I think he quit to do other things musically, basically. Okay. Okay. I mean, what I was gonna get to next was after so after Gary Moore left. Lionett decided to go to two guitarists instead of one. So that was like a big turning point for the band. Right. So they they do a 1974 tour of Germany, uh, recruiting a couple of guys named John Can and Andy G, I guess, G-E-E. Okay. Uh, so they, they, these guys would just be around for, for that tour, essentially. Right. And then uh, once that was done, they held auditions for two new guitarists, and they settled on, settled on a guy named uh, Scott... Oh, sorry... I, I wrote down an 18-year-old Scott, so like a guy from Scotland. <laughs> yeah. His name is not actually just Scott. <laughs> and I, I wrote this up two days ago, and I already can't read my own <laughs> bullshit. But uh, yeah, so an 18-year-old Scottish guy named Brian Robertson, nickname was Robbo, 
and a 20 year old guy named Scott Gorham from California. So it was be like the first American, I guess, in the band. Right. Okay. The band had gotten a new record deal with Phonogram after the decade deal had ended, and they recorded their fourth full length album called Nightlife, and it also failed the chart. So, I mean, they're getting on the track to where they become more successful, but um, they still struggled a bit at the start with the with the two guitarists. Mm -hmm. uh, the next album was called Fighting, and this would be the first Thin Lizzy album to chart in the UK, and it would reach number 60. That's, so it's, I feel uh, like a yeah. bigger deal then. Yeah, I mean, 60 sounds pretty far down, but like, yeah, but like I mean, I guess to, at that time to just to chart at all was probably a big deal for them. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so the album Fighting is where some of their songs are really starting to stand out for me. Uh, so although I don't love the whole album, the twin guitars are starting to round out the sound and push the band towards hard rock. So like some of those uh, like guitar harmonies and stuff, starting to play some pretty wicked solos and stuff like that too. The first song of the album is actually a cover. It's called Rosalie. It's a Bob Seger cover. Interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting choice. Not for usually a, a Bob Seger fan, but if it's Thin Lizzy doing it. Uh, Rosalie might be the only Bob Seger song I like, and it's uh, the Thin Lizzy version. So. Oh, sweet. Okay. Uh, in 1976, they'd released Jailbreak. This would actually be their, their breakthrough album, which anybody who's you know familiar with mainstream rock radio would probably guess that because Jailbreak. Yeah, it. that's it. And uh, Boys Are Back in Town. That gets played. Yeah, yeah. So that had the title track, like you mentioned, and then also Boys Are Back in Town. So oh, that was on that too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that, those are like their two, I mean, besides Whiskey in the Jar, the two biggest hits. Okay. So the Boys Are Back in Town would hit number eight in the UK and actually hit number 12 in the US, which that's a pretty big deal. That's that's huge. Uh, number five in Canada and number two in Sweden. Oh, wow. Probably just number two after ABBA, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> this is the two bands that we listen to. <laughs> yeah. ABBA and Thin Lizzy. <laughs> that's both ends of the spectrum until... This whole metal thing figures itself out. So they, they around this time they were touring the U.S. with bands like Aerosmith, Rush, and uh, REO Speedwagon. So some pretty big wow. names there. Okay. So they were starting to get the ball rolling, I guess. Until it abruptly stopped when they had to cancel their planned 1976 U.S. tour with Rainbow because uh, Phil got sick with hepatitis. Ooh, which <laughs> letter? Apparently, uh, I believe it was C, I think. And allegedly he got hepatitis from... Uh, a dirty needle because he was pretty deep into heroin addiction. By this point, Lionel had been a heroin addict for for years, and also oh, like yeah, all right. That's and he it. also drank a lot and he philandered. <laughs> so yeah, hmm. he was just a, a man of many appetites. All right. Uh, would write most of their next album called Johnny the Fox while he was laid up sick with hepatitis. So I guess uh, something good okay. came out of it. Uh, around this time, some tension would start to build between Lionet and guitarist uh, Robertson. So, uh, nickname Robbo, <laughs> bro. He, uh, <laughs> Creative, yeah. he he broke his hand in a fight at a London speakeasy, and they ended up having to cancel a U.S. tour at the end of '76. Hmm. So, I guess this is a different tour. So, they had to cancel one because of Lionet getting sick, and then they canceled another one because of Robertson's broken hand. Right. Like they were just starting to get popular in the U.S., and that kind of like slow things down for them a bit yeah. as far as their, their popularity went. I mean, it definitely helps album sales if you can tour. Yeah, true. Especially back then, right? Because you didn't have... Yeah, that's like the best form of exposure is to have your name up on a sign. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Lionet replaced Robertson with Gary Moore. So Gary Moore again. And I'll, 
and I'll say this, Gary Moore is an excellent guitarist, so I totally understand his reasoning for using Gary Moore. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, Gary Moore would replace Robertson for the next tour, uh, but eventually Robertson would come back, and it was during the recording of their next album called Bad Reputation, and that album would hit number four in the UK. So, uh, oh, back to that live album you were mentioning. So Thin Lizzy would release Live and Dangerous in 1978, which would end up all the way at number blank because I forgot to type the number in in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> can you, can you I, still the, up? I still have the discography open. I can find it. The yeah, live I'll keep, album. I'll keep reading until you, uh, until you get to the number. <laughs> it was, uh, number two in the UK. <laughs> I knew it was a high one. All right, yeah, number two in the UK. Uh, and it's widely regarded as one of the best live albums of all time. Really? And although Is some it a of the real album, live album too? Well, that's what, uh, yeah, the the next thing I was talking about was some of the album was re-recorded, but exactly how much of it was re-recorded is disputed by different people. Okay. So one of their producers claimed that a lot of it was re-recorded, if not all of it, and then Robertson countered that saying like a lot of it wasn't, like he refused to redo a lot of the solos and stuff because he couldn't replicate them in studio. Okay. So, but it wasn't 100% live, but... I mean, a lot of the album Kiss Alive was re-recorded. And, I was just uh, going to say, it wasn't like all of it. <laughs> uh, possibly all of it. And, and it's yeah. freaking awesome, right? It's, it's awesome. And I, personally, I don't care about actual authenticity. If it sounds live and it kicks ass, like I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. If it gets the, if he makes you feel like the energy of the crowd. Yeah. Uh, Robertson would permanently leave the band in the summer of 1978. And he would also, he'd, he'd be replaced by Gary Moore again. <laughs> So Gary Moore has already been in and out of the band like four yeah, times. Real, real pattern here. So is he just like being kicked to the curb all sad and then he like swings back around and picks him up? <laughs> no, I think he actually leaves. I think he leaves the band a lot of times. Because he, he, from what I was reading, he didn't really, he wasn't really a partier. So like I think the band's lifestyle was a bit much for him. Right. So uh, like he, you know, musically he fit in, but he just like couldn't kind of keep up the pace with the other stuff. But he was basically their go-to replacement pretty much every time. And right. obviously him and Lanet had a long history. They've been playing music together since they were you know, teenagers. So. Right. So they released the album Black Rose in 1979. This would hit number two in the UK. So they're still charting pretty high at this point. They, uh, they went through a couple more guitarists after Gary Moore would leave again in the uh, middle of a tour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they had a guy named uh, Midge Ewer. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. It's like U-R-E. So it's either Yuri or Ure. Uh, a guy named Dave Flett. And then eventually a guy named Snowy White. Nice. Yeah, Sick. That's a, that's a sweet it's not his real name, name hey? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I'm guessing that's not his real name, yeah. It's All right. You never know. Lineup was spending a lot of time on his solo music around this period. Uh, the recording of their next album was called Chinatown. And his solo album were kind of getting blurred together in the studio. And it was so much that the members would sometimes get confused as to which album they were working on at any given time. Hmm. So there was one of the guys was complaining that he should have got paid uh, like studio musician time for like recording <laughs> Linet's solo album because they, yeah, they were getting crossed over all the time with the, the two albums. So I'd be annoyed too. Kind of, a, kind of an interesting period for the band. The uh, the album Chinatown would get to number seven in the UK, but uh, at this point, Thin Lizzy's popularity in the US was slipping, which I'd be willing to guess had something to do with them canceling several tours in the u.s yeah i mean without the internet yeah i mean how are you supposed to stay fresh in people's minds if you're not you know putting yourself out getting noticed right yeah so they would actually take thin lizzie would take their last u.s tour in 1980 and uh after that their next album would be called renegade which was released in 1981 
And at this point, their popularity was starting to wane. So Renegade would go all the way down to number 38 in the UK and 157 in the US, which, to be honest, is a freaking travesty because it's a great album. <laughs> and uh, it's for me, it's way better than Black Rose and it's better than Chinatown. So I don't know. I, I think there's other reasons that they weren't as popular, but it definitely, as far as music goes, like they're starting to put out the best music of their career and mm-hmm. uh, and their sales are like going down. They were just partying too hard to do the touring necessary. Yeah, I mean, it could also be a sign of what the flavor of the month musically was at the time. Like maybe that type of rock or hard rock was falling out of the mainstream, I guess. Yeah. So it might have something to do with just the, the climate. But for me, it's just like, it makes me sad because they're putting out this great material and it's just not getting appreciated at the time. So uh, I saw a documentary that Renegade was originally supposed to be named after the track Trouble Boys, uh, but the band wisely decided not not only to change the name of the album, but to drop that song from the album entirely. <laughs> and, and I listened to it, and it would have been the worst song on the album, in my opinion. Like, it's not a very good song. So, like, and a terrible album title as well. Yeah, man. Like, I, I listen to Renegade, and I like like pretty much every song on that album a lot. And then I listen to Trouble Boys. I'm like, why would they even think about putting this on? Like, thank God. They made, they definitely made the right decision anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, by 1982, Downey and Gorham both had issues. They uh, they tempor- temporarily had to leave the band for. So, like, health or personal issues or whatever. So, mm-hmm. I mean, really, the band's starting to fall apart at this point. The drug stuff is getting, I assume, pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, probably just the, the touring and the drugs and just the lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. Eventually, Snowy White would leave the band and line it would settle on a guy named John Sykes. Sykes' addition to the band would definitely take them in a, a heavier direction. And in, in my opinion, a, a glorious heavier direction. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sykes had previously play, played for a band called Tigers of Pantang. I don't know if you ever heard of them. No, they, like they're, a, they had some success. Uh, yeah, the Tigers of Pantang had some, some decent stuff back in the, the okay. early 80s. Oh, uh, Ian has let me know that I'm an an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> there was. We already went over uh, one of the Tiger songs in. Um, what is this acronym, Ian? Oh, the new and, wave of British heavy metal. Yes, yes, yeah, that. Yeah, so I mean, I, we do so many episodes, and there's so much music to go through. It's it's impossible to remember everything we talk about. There's there's so much that's vaguely familiar that I don't even want to like try and find out where it's from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you're just fabricating it. That's why I have to read off a sheet of paper. <laughs> so, although this lineup would only last for one album, uh, it would be the album Thunder and Lightning, which is I, I use the word sensational on my paper, but yeah, I'll, that's one word to describe it. It's a it's just a great album anyway. <laughs> but uh, Thunder and Lightning was released in 1983. And it definitely borders more on the heavy metal side of hard rock compared to their old stuff. Right. And uh, Thunder and Lightning actually did much better than Renegade, getting up to number four in the UK. Which, I mean, I'll agree with that because I personally like it better than better than Renegade. But I still think Renegade is getting a bad rap because uh, it's still an excellent album. Right. So uh, on the last couple Thin Lizzy studio albums, like I was saying before, the songwriting was more spread out among the band, unlike earlier albums where Lineit would do most of the writing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after this album, so Thin Lizzy, the the original version anyway, because they, they've reformed in more recent years, uh, but not obviously not with with Lionet because he passed away. But the original version would break up in 1983. I guess they're one of those bands that's still kind of touring. I th- think with like a real shell. 
but I don't yeah, know they, see a band with that. They got a couple of, it. from what I saw, they have a couple of guys who were in the band, like in some of the earlier versions of the band. Yeah. But then they get like a new front man or something. Yeah. And having just seen the, uh, the Beach Boys with only the two of the remaining guys and they're both like 80 something, it's uh it's not necessarily bad, but it's, it's a real different yeah. experience. I have honestly, I, I have no interest in seeing Thin Lizzy without Phil Lynott. But, yeah, same. I mean, like going on that, you know, Phil Lynott was still around, and Thin Lizzy was like going to tour. All of a sudden, I would go out of my well out of my way to go see them. But uh, yeah, yeah. Without, I'm, I'm even if they were playing right here in town, I probably wouldn't even go bother. Yeah, like, no offense. Kind of... I'm sure the I'm sure they're they're a great band. I'm sure they're all very professional and you know sound awesome, but it's just not uh, not the same for me. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. It'd be like, like it'd be like seeing Nine Inch Nails without Trent Reznor. Like, who are you really seeing? Yeah, just just not the same band at all. Right? So I mean, it, it makes me sad. Like I was saying, as they released, in my opinion, their best album, and then broke up pretty much right after. And then uh, Line It would die a couple years later, and it obviously wrecked any chance of a reunion that they might have planned. Um, mm. Lynott had also released a second solo album, and he was also planning on a third before he died. Uh, although his uh, his solo albums never really did very well commercially. In right. uh, in 1985, Lynott teamed up with Gary Moore again <laughs> for uh, for a hit single called "Out in the Fields." Uh, mm-hmm. It's an awesome song, and there's actually a video for it. So it's just a good, you know, a well-written hard rock hit with uh, you know Lynott and Gary Moore both like singing the vocals. Lynott obviously on bass, Moore shredding on the guitar it's a yep. great great song anyway so mm-hmm. uh, line it would die on january 4th 1986 from heart failure due to pneumonia and organ failure after being diagnosed with septicemia 10 days earlier i'm guessing that's like that sounds like a bad infection he must have gone septic yeah like super infected and then i mean it, it caused by years of heavy drug use and drinking and whatnot that's yeah. using his body so oh it's just sepsis yeah blood yeah. poisoning yeah, pretty pretty rough, but yeah, he. I mean, the guy lived hard, right? So. Yeah, that's the kind of death you're heading for, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, he was he was a creative genius, so so yeah, pretty sad. But he, for, for from my point of view, he went on top because Thin Lizzy released their, in my opinion, best album, and then he passed away, you know, a couple years later. And yeah, one one story that he had from when he was in school is his school had some kind of they they're collecting money for like these starving kids in Africa or something like that. These like, uh, I think they, they actually worded it like the, the black babies in Africa or something. They were raising money for them. Right. And, and, and line, it was like collecting money for him, but he would like take the money and his like, justification was, well, I'm one of the black babies. So he'd like take the money. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, Boomtown rats, frontman Bob Geldof. You've heard of Bob Geldof probably. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He did, like the bandaid stuff and all that. He recalled getting high on heroin while writing a song with line it. And then uh, he ended up crawling off to the bathroom and getting sick while Phil tried to bang his wife. <laughs> mm. But didn't she, succeed, uh, hey? <laughs> she, 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 said, yeah, she told him to F off, but... <laughs> mm. It's funny because like nobody... like He didn't even fault him for it. He just told the story. It's like, it was just expected of him, I guess. Like, he's just... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it would say more about my wife if she said yes. <laughs> yeah. We, we know Phil's going to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Robbo, that Robertson guy, the guitarist, he told the story about how he had, I think he had like some kind of injury to his, it was his like hand or something like that. And uh, the, the doctor gave him some kind of cream and it like, I think it, I guess it burned really bad, this cream. And he, he had it like in the bathroom at this studio or it was some kind of 
theater they were at, and there was like this bathroom off the side of the, the dressing rooms or whatever. And uh, Lionet was complaining about how his, like, his dog was sore because he'd been like pretty active, you know? And so one of the other guys, he he, uh, he mentioned he had this cream, right? He didn't tell him like what it was for, and, the, and he told the other guy to tell him about it. So he's like, "Oh yeah, I just go use this cream in the bathroom," and the stuff like burned really bad. So he like, but he didn't know. He put it all over his, his dog. <laughs> I guess he was like hopping around in there, just freaking losing it. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. It was it's pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty sorry. And he blamed he blamed the other guy, even though it was like Robertson. But, <laughs> so he ended up getting away with that one. A uh, couple other, like, just these are just some side notes that I added on kind of to the end. So, uh, Lionet had two daughters, uh, and he also apparently loved being a dad. It just that life on the road kind of made it hard for him to, to be around, but it sounds like he was really proud of being a, a father and his kids and stuff. Right. I also read a story that there was a guy, he had a kid out of wedlock when he was younger, and the kid was put up for adoption and ended up in like the UK or something. And like much later on, it was found out that he had this illegitimate son. And finally, uh, Lynette's mom actually recognized that this kid was his son. And he's got like, some physical similarities too, so you can sort of see it. That's crazy. Yeah. And uh, Lynette was also involved in Live Aid in 1985, which was organized by Geldof and uh, Midjur, who played guitar for Thin Lizzy at one point. And uh, he, he actually, this was, this was when Lynette was trying to get Thin Lizzy going again. And he was he had apparently hoped that that their band would get promoted, but in the end, you uh, two ended up getting promoted instead. So, ah, and the got, world was worse off for it. And it kind of got let down. Yeah, I, I mean, I used to, I used to like you two a lot. Not, not so much anymore. I feel like I, feel like I was like tricked into thinking they were really good. I don't know. It's their music's kind of blends together. <laughs> it's like you're yeah. gonna hear Bono somewhere ten feet away from the mic going, ah, and then. Some drums. Like I feel, I could definitely go and listen to like the Joshua Tree, and I enjoy that album in its entirety. But I like to go through the whole U two discography. I, I yeah, I'm doing that. I think. I also found out um, just because I, I clicked the link. Um, Phil Lynott grew up in the neighborhood of Dublin called Crumlin, which I just thought was kind of funny word association. <laughs> <laughs> like it's Crumlin they used to be yeah like in in the uh, original. Irish language it seems like it was a little more nuanced like it was it made more sense but it's just become Dublin and Crumlin <laughs> like that's the neighborhood oh my god all right well I was actually trying to find like crazy Phil Lynott stories and I, I didn't have a lot of success finding like crazy stories I mean obviously he did a lot of a lot of drugs and drinking and slept with a lot of women and whatnot yeah but I mean other than that I couldn't find anything like maybe 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 that's the problem with them being underrated is that there was no reporters trying to get a story around them like yeah it was usually someone trying to record stuff that's nuts but they were barely, but I mean, they weren't even touring outside of the uk i definitely i mean as a in contrast to some of our other episodes where they're more maybe based on on the uh you know the drama behind some of the stories in the history yeah. of the bands and whatnot uh, in this case i'd say like the the main focal point should be the music because Totally. The main reason I want to talk about Thin Lizzy is to expose people to a lot of the stuff they wouldn't have heard that's just really good. And I just hasn't want, gotten that publicity. Yeah. I just want people to hear it. You know, I just think I think people are missing out. Anybody who likes, you know, rock and hard rock, uh, that hasn't heard a lot of Thin Lizzy's albums besides the radio hits, I think they're in for yeah, a treat. I just I think they'll enjoy it. I just want to help people find good music, you know? Totally. Yeah. 
So uh, I, I had to limit the workout playlist, but I highly recommend getting heavily into almost their entire discography, except maybe, I mean, the first two albums I don't love, uh, but I would especially recommend any album from the album Johnny the Fox and, and later. So all those albums are excellent. Yeah. And no shame skipping the first couple albums if it's just yeah, I mean, figuring it out. Yeah, that's fine. Unless you like really, you know, quirky offbeat crap, like some people I'm sure enjoy it, but it's just not, not my thing. Yeah. But uh, if you want to do it just to spite me, just so you can go in and say, oh, these are so good. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> you have terrible Feel taste. free to do that as well. Yeah. That's, just yeah, direct it towards that, yeah. Andrew and yeah, not, <laughs> not me. I'm not involved. Yeah. Don, Don has no opinion on the matter, so. I'm neutral. All right, let's go to the workout playlist. Yeah, sounds good. I ain't got time to bleed. This is the Let's put a smile on that face. I took the wrong week to quit drinking. All right, it's uh, song number one. Yeah, let's do it. We're going to do the song of The Rocker. It was a single from Vagabonds of the Western World from 1973. Uh, so this is back in the days when there was only one guitarist. Uh, it, it definitely can't compete with the later material, in my opinion, but it's still a solid rock song. Uh, not his most thoughtful lyrics, but still fairly lively vocals from Lanet. So check it out. The Rocker. All right. Yeah, let's, let's hear it. The Rocker, then Lindsay. <laughs> Like that's the kind of song you listen to and go, why don't more people talk about this? Like it sounds like a hit. Yeah, Honestly. I mean, it was it was released as a single, and it, it probably didn't do as good as it should have. Maybe. No, definitely. I'm just gonna assume not, considering that's like better than like seventy percent of the riffs I've listened to on the radio. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, even even their stuff that I don't love is still like better than average. You know? Yeah, totally. Uh. Song number two. I'm I'm doing a couple from the older albums that aren't necessarily my favorites, but they they definitely have songs that I can pick out that I enjoy. Uh, cool. We're gonna do the song "Sha La La" from the album "Nightlife" from 1974. Um, this is the first album that featured the dual guitars. Okay. Uh, it's it's a fun song and it's fairly heavy despite the pretty shitty recording of this whole album. Like the <laughs> album's kind of it's got like kind of a weird low key recording. Like it just doesn't sound. It's not dynamic enough, I guess. Yeah. You'll know what I'm talking about if you listen to it, but uh, it's got a decent guitar solo, although nothing like what Robertson and Gorham would do on subsequent albums. Right. But this is probably the, the fastest, heaviest song on Nightlife, probably one of their more subdued albums. All right. Sweet album cover, too. Yeah, I mentioned that when it comes up. I'm a big fan of that art. Yeah, the album cover belies an album that is not as good as the album cover. It makes it look better. It, yeah, I saw that album cover, and it's like nightlife. This album cover is badass. Like, this is <laughs> gonna be a sick. sweet album. And you listen to it, it's, like, eh, it's not that good. It's <laughs> like a panther gargoyle on it. All right, shalala. Come on, I'm I'm 
Yeah, you're the, the mix definitely sounds kind of weird. Like, I, I don't even think anything the song suffers from is the music. It's the mix. And he sounds like he's singing in a closet or something. Like, it's just really... Yeah. Like, it's muffled, right? It seems it's yeah, a little like, muffled. That remastered would be... Seems, like, if it was remastered, that would be incredible, I think. Yeah, like, it's I, it's I feel, already a good song. Like, it sounds good. Probably that whole album would be much better. If, yeah, if it was remastered, mm-hmm. they changed the levels on things a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, all right, song number three. We're going to do a song called Suicide from the album Fighting. It's my favorite song on this album. It's got pretty dark lyrics, as you could probably tell from the title. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Linet had a gift for storytelling. Uh, awesome riffs, some decent solos, and a prominent bass from Linet. It's actually a, I don't know how you describe it. His bass stands out in the music, I would say. Yeah. Like, kinda, like Motley Crue, you know how Nikki Six, like when you really listen to it, you could like, the bass really drives the song, you know? Yeah, it has its, um, it has like its own melody going on in the background yeah. that sort of builds it up. Like I, I was thinking earlier, it might be a little bit too far, but like Paul McCartney-ish, like there's quite a complex thing going on behind the scenes of the song. Yeah, and sometimes you don't notice that what you're listening to is the bass, right? A lot mm-hmm. of times you totally. don't know how to listen for it. But, uh, yeah. you know, Line, Line It was a, a great bassist. And if you watch any of their live stuff, like mm-hmm. he really works the stage, you know? He knows what he's doing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, less good album cover. This one's just the classic guys looking cool. Yeah, I don't Not judge this cool. album by the cover. So, like, right. Nightless got a way better cover, but Fighting's a way better album. All right. Uh, suicide. shouldn't have read the lyrics while i was listening to it it's a sweet song but i'm so depressed now yeah the lyrics are super dark but it's a really good song that's not based that's a fake story right i i feel like lanet based a lot of his songs on something but a lot of times it was mm. fairly vague like he probably knew what he was writing about yeah i don't know it's uh it's a good chance it was based on something real uh all right song number four we're gonna do the song emerald from jailbreak it's the uh, the last song on the album it's got some heavy driving guitar, a uh, glorious epic tale based on some violent Irish history. Uh, to me, it's the most badass track on the album Jailbreak. It's, it's my favorite song on that album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not going to include Jailbreak or Boys Are Back in Town on this playlist. For, <laughs> okay. it's, it's some people sugar in, but like, I think that'd be a waste of space, to be honest. I mean, yeah, and to, you've already laid out what you're trying to do with this. <laughs> so, yeah, and if you want to hear Jailbreak, or, if you want to hear, hear Jailbreak or Boys Are Back in Town, just listen to like, CJ92 all day tomorrow, and you'll probably hear both of them twice. <laughs> so, all right, Emerald. Check it out. Down from the glen came the marching men with their shields and their swords to fight the fight they believed to be right overthrow the overlords to the towns where there was plenty they 
he would write a fantastic fantasy novel. Yeah, I feel like he's a great storyteller. <laughs> Seriously, I, like just you could read the lyrics and be entertained. It's yeah. <laughs> like clearly it's some sort of metaphor for England invading Ireland, I'm assuming, <laughs> cuz the Emerald Ireland yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, um, but weird. the final the final line they had come to claim the Emerald without it they could not leave. It was but- so but poetic. I like it's good. I, I'm definitely most of the time, like nine times out of ten, I'm more of a music over lyrics guy. Like I, I rarely pay attention to lyrics unless they're like really profound. But yeah. I find myself when I'm listening to Thin Lizzy, I I'm almost always am listening to the lyrics and like the stories mm-hmm. he's telling. Almost always, like it, he's it's just incredible. Yeah, he had a, a amazing like just a gift with with words mm-hmm. and and the way he tells a story through song. Uh, all right, we'll move on. They, they put out a ton of albums in the late 70s and early 80s, so That's uh, pumping them out. for the most part, I can only give like one song per album, unfortunately. Right. But uh, okay. number five is going to be Don't Believe a Word from the album Johnny the Fox from 1976. To me, it's like an exceptionally melodic, subtly heavy, catchy. Uh, it's got a perfect guitar solo that fits the song. Uh, it's hard to believe Lynott hashed out much of this album when he was laid up sick because it's really good. Oh. I don't believe a word. can tell that there's like a lot of really complicated songwriting techniques going on in that song and i i don't know what any of them are but i can tell it's working it's good eh yeah it's great well there's all these like little breakdowns that happen and it just flows perfectly like i i'm i'm shocked yeah. that there was that much depth in there maybe like the world wasn't ready for thin lizzie i feel like they were yeah. like their music yeah. was maybe just like not simple enough for the general public you know i think you're right they're like the the psp of uh hard rock bands from the 70s the who that that makes sense the p like the like the playstation portable you know it was like too early for its time and then Uh, the switch came out and all that yeah it's like the world wasn't ready for him you know i suppose that's a decent analogy they were just like ahead of their time oh yeah i it's the only thing that makes sense (laughs) yeah because like we're not i I don't think we're overstating this at all (laughs) they're really good they're really good yeah (laughs) yeah like I had to skip an entire album on this playlist because I just don't have enough. I can't do like a million songs, but mm-hmm. uh, the album "Bad Reputation" has got a bunch of good songs on it, and I couldn't even put a song on this list from it. Right, I, I feel too terrible. much. Yeah, there's just too much to put on here. Uh, all right, next song is going to be uh, "Do Anything You Want To" from the album "Black Rose" from 1979. It's got some great guitar harmonies, and it's a really catchy song with some inspiring lyrics. All right, um, do anything you want to. Don't 
it's like the G-rated. We're not gonna take it. <laughs> mm. Oh, like, we're not so gonna positive. take it. G-rated. <laughs> it's the extra G-rated. We're not gonna take it. <laughs> I, I guess we're not gonna take it. It's like maybe bordering on PG, just because it's a little heavier. But yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's very positive though, and because he's he's so poetic. <laughs> yeah, man. Like it, I said, inspiring. It's great. Yeah. I guess there's a lot of really great Irish writers and poets, and uh, he was very proud of his Irish heritage I saw when I was reading through the page. So actually, yeah, that was something I was going to mention. He was like a very, very fervently like patriotic Irishman. Like he loved mm -hmm. his country and he like loved the history. And he was always like, he'd always correct people if they said something wrong about Ireland. He would like That's go off awesome. and like, and like lecture them on it and like tell them the truth, like <laughs> the, the, the facts and stuff. And yeah. Hold that was, That's cool. Uh, all right. Next song is Hey You from Chinatown from 1980. Uh, it's a, got a great, kind of mid-paced riff, uh, good bass line, uh, and yet another catchy chorus hook, like freaking all of his songs. Uh, <laughs> that lineup was getting better at with each album, if you can believe it. Uh, there's an awesome soundcheck version on the deluxe album edition with like three minutes of wicked guitar solos, but uh, we're right. just going to do the album version for this one. Okay, that's fair. All right. Hey, you. You move up to the jungle You find that it's a hell It has a great chorus and it becomes a very different song right away but the entire intro i think might be plagiarized from walking on the moon <laughs> for the police they sound I'm exactly sure the that same came, are you sure that came out before it was a year before i looked it up while i was listening to it ah uh, you listen to the very start with like the bass and the echo guitar <laughs> And walking on the moon. I will. I will never take the police's position exactly. over Lizzie. <laughs> it's so similar. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm just. I'm just stating stating what I'm seeing. Not making any claims, but uh, becomes a different song after. You know? Hmm. I don't much like the direction you're taking with this, Don. <laughs> you're really bringing me down, man. <laughs> hey, the rest of the song is completely different. It's just that part. <laughs> well, I still love it. Whatever. Yeah, that's a good, a good song. It's a good tune. Yeah, you should definitely listen to the uh, the soundcheck version because the the solos are freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. All right, well, uh, got a few more here. Uh, number eight, we're gonna do the song "Angel of Death" from the album Renegade from 1981. Uh, I love this song. It's got this the, the sinister tone in the guitar riff. And then, like, the twisted tales that Lana tells in the verses. And oddly enough, it refers to Nazi Germany in one verse. And yeah. uh, Slayer's Angel of Death is about uh, Joseph Mengele. So <laughs> they're uh, both, both referring to Nazis. Yeah. I guess that must have been his nickname or something. And obviously, like, they're not referring to the Nazis in any, like, positive light, right? Like, they're, both yeah. songs, they're talking <laughs> about, like, the, the horrible things that they did, right? Like, okay. 
All right, Angel of Death. I was hanging out in Berlin in the year 1939. I seen Hitler's troopers march right across the national line. I seen two world wars. Seen men send rockets out into space. Big fan of history-themed songs, and this is one of them. I have a whole playlist just for history-themed songs. Oh, there you go. Add it in there. It's a great song, and I I failed to mention the 40-second synth solo at the start of the song, but uh, it's pretty sweet, too. Well, people got to enjoy it organically. They can't know. <laughs> oh, you got to listen to the whole. You got to listen yeah. to the whole song. Don't say, it. Because of that, like it, they're almost getting kind of prog metally, hey? It's, uh, I it's guess they put rock. a little. Maybe in this, in this album a little bit more. But when you get to Thunder and Lightning, like the next album, it's like pretty freaking heavy. Like there's definitely some keyboards in there, but the guitar is like definitely over top of everything else. Right. Yeah. All right. You ready for the next one? Yep. Let's do it. All right, let's do number nine. It's going to be the song Thunder and Lightning from the album Thunder and Lightning from 1983. Uh, and so all of a sudden, Thin Lizzy was a metal band, and it's uh, <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome, way heavier than all their previous albums. Uh, wicked guitars and like intense all the way through verse and chorus. Sweet. All right, Thunder and Lightning. Oh, that's cool. It's all heavy, but it's like about just having a great time going to concerts on the weekend. Yeah, it's a really good pump-up song. Yeah, like it gets yeah, you jacked. That's uh, sweet. Yeah, I know. I like. I really like that song. I mean, this whole album is pretty awesome. Uh, and then uh, the last song I'm going to do for number ten, the song "Cold Sweat," also from Thunder and Lightning from 1983. So, uh, like as I said before, it's another heavy one. At least. I mean, comparatively, we're talking about, relatively speaking, we're talking about Thin Lizzy. So when I mean, mm-hmm. when I say heavy, obviously there's like a lot of thrash metal and whatnot coming out in 1983. Yeah. So like from where that came from. Yeah. Comparing to, to like old Thin Lizzy, it's pretty heavy. Yeah. Uh, it's got like sure. a, I got, I got what I would describe as like a chunky riff. It's got a pretty acrobatic solo from John Sykes. Like John Sykes is a phenomenal guitarist. Uh, mm-hmm. Linus vocals fit perfect into the heavier sound. Like he really found a way to morph his voice into like a aggressive heavy metal vocalist. Yeah. Uh, and like I said before, it's it's a shame that this is as far as they get with this stuff because they would break up and then he would pass mm-hmm. away before they could ever reform or, or have a reunion. So, yeah, totally. Um, all right, cold sweat. God, it does go heavier though. That's like just in contrast to what we just 
sort of go through the whole progression of them as we get through the playlist and then this this hits definitely, it's like almost a different band well definitely changing guitarists like putting john sykes in there he just had like a much heavier style like a yeah, much like seriously thicker sound right like and it, it just and it's just crazy how linus vocals just like blended right into it like it was it was like a perfect progression mm -hmm. i mean i'm always guy kind of got the scratchy voice it works really well yeah it, it definitely fits the heavy music like for perfect i mean he could do even you know the the slower stuff the, the yeah. funky stuff like dancing in the moonlight whatever like yeah his totally. voice fit he could make his voice fit like all those different styles and yeah speeds of music you know it's just it's a uh, he's pretty versatile dude no it's awesome i'm almost like i mean I'm, I'm sad that this was their last album but it also like it's nice that they ended it off on like a high note you know mm -hmm. it's like they never had a chance to like you know embarrass themselves like some bands do just kind of yeah try too hard to do something new like, and it just doesn't work and like you know. trailing off in the mediocrity riding your own coattails you know like mm -hmm. like uh like bon jovi like fuck man like how many <laughs> shitty albums has that guy put out since like the early or mid 90s like have a nice day like, what the fuck is that <laughs> anyway i digress <laughs> but uh yeah that's it i then ended up going a bit longer than uh was supposed to probably but I had to get ten songs in there. Like there, it would be, it would have been a travesty for me to not do at least ten songs from that freaking. They have, they have so much that's worth checking out. Yeah, well, and I would definitely even even if you go from the album "Fighting" and go on from that and listen to like their albums in the entirety, you'll you'll, you'll probably find, you know, two thirds of the songs, if not three quarters, are like really good. And like even the mm -hmm. songs that are like not at the top of the list are still like pretty damn good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Totally. Once you once you get to like Johnny the Fox, almost every album is really good. So mm -hmm. I'd say like probably the weakest one would be Black Rose, uh, out of those ones. But even that one's got some really good songs in it. It's still worth listening through. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Like I'd say any anything after their first two albums, I would give it give it a shot and just mm -hmm. go through the whole discography, right? Yeah, it's definitely worth it. I gotta I gotta do that again. I I think I listened to whatever the I definitely listened to Renegade. I went through a couple of them, but it was sort of like at the gym. I wasn't really listening close enough to do it more yeah, justice. They're, they're they're definitely worth like sitting and actually listening to. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that is going to do it for this episode of The Heavy. That playlist we just went over, don't forget, is on Spotify. We update it every week with these new songs, and you can check out all the, the Thin Lizzy tracks. And you got some extras on there, right? Uh, I have another playlist that I made while I was doing the prep. So I can... Uh... I can throw that list on the the link for the extended Thin Lizzy yeah. list as well. So. Totally. All right. Cool. Uh, yeah. So that that'll be that'll be up there. Uh, you can see a show notes for a complete list of the songs you heard in this episode and a link to that playlist. It's on Spotify uh, and where we add all of those songs into and keep updating it throughout the season. Uh, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please tell a friend. Leave us a rating on iTunes. Our website is theheavy.podbean.com. You can email us at theheavypod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Heavy Pod and all of those. And our show is edited by Ian Sutherland with Andrew doing all of our research. Our brother Rob designed our logo and our theme song is Stallions of the Highway by Savage Blade. I'm your host, Don Sutherland. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you again in two weeks. Later. <laughs>